Thank you, worship team. Uh, this morning we continue on in our study of Luke, Luke chapter 21. If you don't have a Bible, there's a blue pew Bible in front of you. It's always helpful to have that in front of you, especially today. I say that every week, don't I? I say especially today. But especially, especially today. How about that? And then once you find that, 880 in the Blue Bible, also uh, put a marker, however you do that, in Deuteronomy chapter 28. Five first, first five books of the New T Old Testament called the Torah. The last of those five is Deuteronomy chapter 28. Uh, as most of you know, the last couple of weeks I've been using the true story about the perfect storm and the Andrea Gale who sailed into these three massive pressure systems and was destroyed. And I was comparing that, or I'm comparing that to Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. He's, just not, he's not riding just into a city at a Passover meal. He's riding into the perfect storm. There's these three massive systems that are converging and colliding on Jesus and on Jerusalem from the spiritual realm, from the worldly realm, and from the religious realm. And like the crew of the Andrea Gale that lost their life, Jesus loses his life as well. In the middle of the storm, Jesus turns to his followers, and he warns them, and listen closely for this in the text, if you plan on following me, you should expect storms. You've got to swallow that all the way down. He is facing a storm. He's going to take an ultimate storm away from us. But if you're going to follow him between now and when he returns, expect storms. You're going to face high-pressure systems. You're going to face damaging winds. And as we'll see in Luke 21, 16, some of you will put, be put to death. So Jesus seems to be leading his followers into storms rather than taking them out of them. And he warns them. And what I want to do is just read through this text slowly, give you a moment to orient yourself, and then walk through the message. It's the most complicated chapter in the book. Uh, so I'm just giving you warning on that. Luke 21, verse 5. Let's stand together as we read several verses here. And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, as for these things that you see, Jesus said, the days will come when there will not be left one, here, one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And so they asked him, teacher, when will these things be and what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And Jesus said, see that you are not led astray for many will come in my name saying, I am he. Or, the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. Then he said, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes in various places, famines and pestilences. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors 
for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds, not too immediate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you, a, give you a mouth and wisdom for which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish by your endurance you will gain your lives. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let, loot, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are in the inside of the city depart, and let not those who are out in the country enter the city. For these are the days of vengeance to fulfill what is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be captive among nations, and, Na and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on to the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and they will see the Son of Man coming in cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up. Raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. And then he told them a parable. Look, the fig tree and all the trees, and all the trees, as soon as they come out in leaf... You see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all this has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place. And strength to stand before the Son of Man. You may be seated. Let's take a moment to reflect on God's word. I have a picture from 1982 of my wife and myself standing on top of the World Trade Center. We were in college dating. We are in New York City, went to the top of the World Trade Center. It was my first time in New York. And I remember standing at the bottom of these twin towers. I mean, it's so massive. I mean, so high when you're at the edge of, edge of them, you can't even really see the the top of them, they just seem so immovable. So in 2001, September 11th, Nancy and I sat in real disbelief as we watched these twin towers fall. I mean, it just was, I mean, we saw it, but it was like unimaginable. 
You couldn't imagine something that large, that big, that immovable, actually just collapsing to the ground. And it seemed like other things collapsed inside our souls that day. Other things that seemed certain maybe weren't quite so certain. Even more traumatic than that event for the United States is Jesus' statement in verse 6. As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left one stone upon another as he looks at the temple. They'll all be thrown down. Jesus and his disciples probably had been in the, the courtyard area teaching. It's the end of the day, most likely. They walk out. The sun is setting on the temple area. And it reflects back. It has a sort of a divine glow about it. And somebody in the crowd, one of the disciples, just starts marveling at the size. It's a very normal thing to do, like me in New York City. It's just, hey, let's just stop and just be amazed at the, the size of the temple and, and what takes place there. You, ha- you have to remember that Jesus' disciples, they're not city boys. They're from the countryside, Galilee. Think uh, Brunswick or Pender County. I mean, no, no disrespect, but, but when the disciples come from Pender County or Brunswick County and they see the temple, it would it be the same as going, being transported from the Bojangles in Leland to Times Square, right? I mean, I'm just sitting in little old Bojangles having my chicken biscuit. I shouldn't talk about food. Somebody told me about this last week. I'm sipping their sweet tea and then suddenly I'm in Times Square. It'd just be like, what happened? I mean, this is so amazing. I can't believe I'm even on the same planet. And so when the, the disciples, the country boys come into the city, they're just amazed. The Temple Mount, remembers 35 acres. It takes up one-sixth of the entire city. In order to get a platform, they have to build a retaining wall, and on one side it's 15 stories high. In order to retain all that earth, the foundation stones are 60 feet long, 10 feet high, and 14 feet deep. They weigh over 1 million pounds. And I just think, how, how, without machinery, how do they even get these things in place? They're just massive. You just couldn't even imagine them being moved. But, but far more important than just the engineering feat of the temple was the temple was the place you meet, meet with God. This is where Almighty God comes to meet with his people. It can't collapse. I mean, it's like God's inside. This is his home. He's not going to allow whatever happens. This isn't going to collapse. I mean, if the temple crumbles, then meeting with God crumbles. So that just can't happen. Can't, it just wouldn't be something they could imagine. You might recall in John chapter 4, remember Jesus talking with the woman at the well? Remember that story? And in, the, in this long dialogue, she begins to talk about worship, whether we're going to worship on this mountain or on that mountain. And here's Jesus' response. Woman, 
Believe me, the hour is coming when neither this mountain or the mountain in Jerusalem, the temple, you won't worship at either of those places. So he's, he's already telegraphing. Now, this woman wouldn't have been able to really understand what Jesus was saying, but he's already telegraphing something new is going to happen. There's going to be a new temple, Jesus, a new way to connect with God, Jesus. It's not going to be the old way. And here he's telling his disciples the same thing in chapter 21. So then they ask this question, well, when will these things be? What will be the sign that they're about ready to take place? It's a good question. And the way Jesus answers, or maybe I should say the way Luke answers for Jesus as he puts his text down, it's not linear. And I'm just so linear, I can't understand it unless I put it in order. So I'm sorry, Luke, this is a better way to have written this. Because look at, look at verse 12 with me. But before all this, okay, you've already been talking. And now he's going to go and say, like, whoops, before this. So I'm putting before this, before this. Does that make sense? That's why it's a little complicated. So let's say, first thing Jesus said, they will lay their hands on you. They will persecute you. So I'm looking for signs. And Jesus saying, hey, first thing we're going to see is people are going to lay hands on you. They're going to persecute you, deliver you up to the synagogues and prisons. You're going to be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. And then if you skip down to verse 16, you will, believe, you, you will be delivered up even by parents and brothers, relatives, friends. Some will be put to death. All will be hated. So this is the first thing that's going to happen. So disciples, you're entering the storm too. And so we're not surprised when Luke writes his second letter, the book of Acts, he's the author of the book of Acts, that we read things like this, Peter and John are arrested and brought before rulers, Acts chapter 4. They were beaten, Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 6, Stephen was stoned, the early leader of the church. Acts chapter 12, James. Remember James, John, Peter, they're the three Titus ones to Jesus. James is beheaded. Exactly what Jesus said in Luke 21. Hey, before the temple is destroyed, guys, some of you are going to get destroyed. So let's just take that in. I wonder how the prosperity preachers miss a passage like this. Next, verse 8 and 9. Nation will rise against, or, or see to you are not led astray, for many will come in my name saying, I am he. The time is at hand. Don't go after them. See, what's going to happen is there's going to be persecution. The persecution is going to fall on the Christians. And as that's unfolding, people will say in a panic, this, is, this has got to be in times. This has got to be in times. I know. And even some people are saying, I, I'm, I'm the Savior now. And in, in the panic, in the pain, in the suffering, don't, don't get confused. It's, it's not going to happen in the time that you think it's going to happen. The end will not be at once, verse 9. 
Finally, Jesus gets to answering the question, verse 20. Does that make sense? Are you following with me? First of all, there's going to be persecution and suffering. Some people are going to die. In the midst of all this chaos, there's going to be other people coming in saying, this has got to be the end times, or I'm the Savior. And then verse 20. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, this is the sign you want to look for. Jerusalem's a walled city, and when it's surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation, its collapse, is near. If you're in the surrounding area, don't come to Jerusalem, flee to the mountains. If you're inside the city, verse 21, leave the city. It's going to be destroyed before it, before it gets all the way surrounded, leave. These are going to be very difficult days, days of vengeance. And it's going to fulfill what's already been written. And it's going to be so terrible, especially if you're pregnant or if you have a nursing infant. There's going to be great distress. Some are going to fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive to other nations. And eventually Jerusalem will be trampled. So Jesus' answer is when the destruction of the temple will take place is when all these things happen. And we know these things happened historically in 70 A.D., about 40 years after Jesus had made this statement. And we know it happened because there was a uh, Roman general named Titus who came in to destroy or sort of put down the Jewish rebellion. There's been a lot of rebellion after Jesus' death, sort of a rolling rebellion. A new person comes on the scene, a new person. And a guy named Titus, who's a very powerful Roman ruler, came in and said, no more. And to make sure there's no more, I'm going to eliminate most of you all. So history records about a million Jewish deaths in this war. Many of the Jews fled to Jerusalem in opposition of what Jesus said, thinking they were safe because they would get locked in, but they got locked in and there was no food, which led to cannibalism. Titus took 100,000 prisoners back to Rome and if you were in Rome, you can see the Arch of Titus. It's there today. And on the Arch of Titus is Titus leading these Jewish slaves behind him. Titus' men were so frustrated that they burned the temple with people inside the temple. And they realized there was a lot of gold in the temple, which melted in the burning and seeped between the 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 cracks in the stones. So when the temple cooled off, guess what they did? They unearthed these stones. So almost no stone, one was left on top of another, digging out the gold to take it home. So we know that's what happened. That's what Everybody understands that happens historically. You don't have to be a Christian or not. My question is, as we step back, why is all this happening? And this is terrible. Why, why is it actually taking place? And Jesus says it's to make sure what's written down is fulfilled. This isn't some accident. This is actually what God predicted. And that's where I want us to turn back 1,500 years to Deuteronomy chapter 28. 
Moses has led the people right to the edge of the promised land, and he looks at them, I think, with passion, with, with compassion, and exhortation. I'm setting before you life and death. Choose life. It's, it, it's hard. It's not complicated. That makes sense. I, I've given you the instructions. Follow after God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. There's blessings if you do, and if you don't, there are cursings. So I'm just going to read through. It'd probably be good for you to read through the whole chapter later today. And so this is what he says, 28, verse 15. But if you don't obey the voice of the Lord your God, and if you're not careful, you're not careful to do everything the commands and the statutes that I command you today, then all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Verse 20. The Lord will send you curses, confusion, frustration, and all that you undertake to do until you are destroyed and perish quickly on the account of the evil of your deeds because you have forsaken me. Verse 26. And your dead body shall be food for all the birds of the air and for the beasts of the earth, and there shall be no one to frighten them away because everyone's dead. Verse 32. Your sons and your daughters shall be given to another people while your eyes look on and fail with longing for them all the day long, but you shall be helpless. Verse 53. And you shall eat the fruit of your womb. Mm. I mean, this is in the Bible. You will eat the flesh of your sons and daughters the ones the Lord your God has given you. Because in the siege and in the distress, your enemies are distressing you. You you can't make this up. Jesus is saying, hey, this is going to happen, and it's because of a promise 1,500 years before. And you could imagine during the 1,500 years, the Jewish people might have thought, I guess God's not super serious about judgment, right? I mean, because we haven't always had good and bad. It just, he just doesn't care that much, or it's too long away for me to be worried about judgment. If we don't learn anything else from this prophecy and its historical fulfillment, we have to learn that when God speaks of a coming judgment, Though it may seem delayed, it will happen. The destruction of Jerusalem serves as like this giant warning sign. In case you don't think God is serious about judgment against sin, pay attention. Go to Rome and see the, the Arch of Titus. Go to Jerusalem and see that the temple has been destroyed. Acts 17, 31. It is time for people everywhere to repent because God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world. Revelation 20, 15. Anyone's name not found in the book of life will be thrown into the lake of fire. My friends, I don't know when the judgment's going to finally come. It might be a thousand years from now. But one day it'll come.
and your name is either written in the book because you've put your, put your faith in Jesus or it hasn't. And if it's not written in the book, the destruction is going to be worse than what we just read in Deuteronomy 28. Quite a storm. Now, in the midst of all this, Jesus gives two points of encouragement. Verse 13, this will be your opportunity. Does this seem like an opportunity to you? The collapse of your world? You think, wow, that's going to be a great opportunity for me when everything around me just collapses. No, it, it actually is. Jesus is saying, that's, that's a great moment for you. Because when the world is collapsing around and all the things that people put their time and investment in is just dissipating, then you saying there's something greater than the world, then they're listening. That's the moment people might be listening that they're not listening at any other moment. And you know this to be true. Somebody gets cancer, oh, I got to get right with the Lord. I mean, right? You, there's something happening that's bigger than I can control, and I'm trying now to reach out to something beyond myself. And Jesus said, this is going to be terrible. It's going to be terrible for you, but while you're being destroyed, trust in Jesus. And your witness can go out to places you can't even imagine. So it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity. Second, verse 19. By your endurance during these trials, you will gain your life. Some translations say you will win your life. A literal translation in the Greek. By your endurance, you will make your lives secure. See, if you're enduring under pressure, then you're giving security to your faith, to yourself about your faith. You're, when, when everything collapses around you and you're still expressing hope in Jesus as Jesus, as Stephen did at his stoning, your, your endurance to Jesus to the very end of your life is a witness of your eternal security. It's not a guarantee of it because Jesus guarantees your security. But it's a witness of your security to those around you, to yourself. So stand firm. Stand firm to the end. As I thought about this, I thought, because this happens, and I'm asked about it, what happens if you don't endure to the end? Just somewhere along the way, you take the exit ramp away from God. You know somebody like this? What's the answer? I don't know. That's my real answer. I don't know. I know God knows. And I'm not God. But what I do know is it causes my security to be shaken. Does it yours? Like I know everyone's saved by grace. But there's so many exhortations, just endure to the end, and I see somebody take the exit ramp, and it doesn't cause God any insecurity. I want you to make sure you understand that. But it causes me insecurity, because now I don't know. And so there may be somebody here who's heading for the exit ramp. Don't, please don't. 
Please find somebody say, I'm heading for the exit ramp. Please keep me on the road. Can you steer while I crawl in the back of the car and cry? I mean, whatever it is, I just need some help, but don't take the exit ramp. Because it's going to leave you less secure. It's going to leave the people around you to say, I, I mean, now what, what do I think? I don't know. Okay, let's take a deep breath. Because that's not the confusing part. Mm. I'm sorry, I should have warned you ahead of time. The next part, verses 25 through 28, is often referred to as Jesus' Olivet Discourse. Because he's on the Mount of Olives and he's giving a discourse, a teaching. And you can Google it and you can find hundreds of opinions, four or five common ones. And I'll let you do that on your own. Uh, but I'm going to come to one conclusion that many biblical scholars have come to and try to just help you see it briefly and how I arrived at this, and then you can ask me questions about it later. Not as you walk out the door. <laughs> when you get to verse 25, let's just read this, verse 25. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. So something cosmic is happening. People fainting with fear, foreboding of what's coming onto the whole world. Even powers in heaven will be shaken. And then all will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up. Raise up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Now, when you get to this verse, you have to ask yourself, is 25 through 28 more information about the destruction of the temple or is it about the destruction of something else? That's the f first question you have to try to ask and answer. Has Jesus now shifted his sights from the temple to an, a, a destructive event further out? Does that make sense? That's what you have to decide right there. And many people think that he's now shifting. He's using the collapse of the temple to bring into view the collapse of the world. Uh, Jesus is piggybacking on a near event to say there's a far event that's going to be like this. A fancy theological phrase that you can use on your next dinner party is called prophetic telescoping. That'll make you look real good next dinner party. If you've ever been out to the Rockies, let's say you're driving, not just flying in, and you can see them from some distance away. And if you had some binoculars, you'd be like, look at this massive mountain. I mean, it takes up the whole horizon. And it looks like from a distance, it's just one long mountain range. And you can imagine Lewis and Clark getting there going, that's going to be a big mountain. But what was the most disappointing part for Lewis and Clark? It wasn't just one line of mountains, right? The range is at different points in the Rockies, 300 miles deep. 
So what happens is when you're looking, it looks like it's all one mountain range, but prophetic telescoping is saying, yes, this is the destruction of an age, but there are ages beyond this age, like a mountain range. And when you get up to Jerusalem in chapter in, in uh, 70 AD, you say, oh, this is what he was talking about, but there's another destruction way further ahead. That's the idea. Prophetic telescoping. So uh, humans have to come up with some explanation of this. And Jesus, I think he's using this time period in verse 20 about the end of the temple to talk about the end of the age. Does that make sense? If it doesn't, you're in good company because this is the complicated part. I think you can tell he shifted sights just by the language he's using. He's talking about the distress of the nations, not just of Jerusalem. All the creation is going to be in some sort of tumult. And the glory of God is going to come in a way that everyone's going to see all over the world. So I think there's something else he's talking about, which I think is his second coming. And when he says down in verse 32, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place, I think he's talking about the first mountain. Many of you here, Jesus is saying, you're going to be alive when this temple is destroyed. But when heaven and earth pass away, hey, my words will never pass away. When other disasters in this mountain range happen that are way further out, I want you to know that my words are never going to pass away, even though everything else does. That's not what everybody thinks. That's what I think. And again, you can do some study on your own. But I think it's important to see what Jesus is doing. He's taking a significant yet smaller event, the persecution of the disciples, the clashing of the kingdoms, the arrival of a great power like Rome, the end of the temple, and he's expanding it to another event, a much bigger mountain further away, persecution of followers, clash of creation, the arrival of a truly great power, Jesus, and the end of the world. And before that time comes, there will be people, just like in the times of the, before the destruction of the temple, who will say, the time is at hand. But don't listen to them. They don't know what they're talking about. There will be people in every age who think they know the end of this age. But instead of listening to them, let's just listen to Jesus, Matthew 24. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Next sentence in Matthew 24. No one knows about that day or even the hour. Not even the angels or what? The Son of Man. So if Jesus says no one knows, I don't know, whatever that means, it means I don't know right? I mean, you're asking yourself, how can Jesus not know? I'm not going to answer that right now. All I'm going to say is, if Jesus says he doesn't know, I'm not going to say, well, Jesus, well, get out of here, man. I got it. I've read all the signs. I know what's going to happen. And, and, and in every generation, there's a hunger. There's some kind of hunger. I think from uh, Ecclesiastes, I was reading earlier this week, God has put eternity in the heart of man, but no one can understand it. There's some kind of hunger like, maybe this is going to be the end. I totally understand that. 
I recall 1988, a former NASA engineer and a Bible scholar predicted the rapture in 1988. And he wrote a book with a catchy title, 88 Reasons for the Rapture in 1988. It was a bestseller. Sold 4.5 million copies. That's a lot. And here's his quote. Only if the Bible is in error am I wrong. Oh, gosh. How'd you like to have that on your resume? <laughs> I mean, can you believe you would even say that out loud? Only if the Bible is in error am I wrong. Oh, boy. He had a follow-up book in 1989. He had a book in 1993 and 1994. None of those sold very well. So, so instead of trying to figure all that out, let's keep our eyes on Jesus. I'm not saying those things aren't worth thinking about, trying to put some things together, but we're not going to know. But the thing that we can know and not be confused about and not be controversial about we can see in verse 34, until that day, watch yourselves. This isn't confusing or complicated. Watch yourselves. Be careful. Don't take the exit ramp. It's, it's like Jesus is saying this as a parent to children who are going out and driving for the first time. You, you have that feeling yet? Oh, I'm sorry if you haven't. You, you give them the keys. It's their first time solo. And what do you say? Be careful. I mean, like, no, nothing else. Just be careful. Be careful. And that's what Jesus is saying. Be careful. He's using the word watch out. Watch out. Pay attention to yourself. Because two things can happen if you're not careful. Dissipation or the cares of this life. Dissipation. Unbridled indulgence. I'm drinking too much from the fountain of the world. And it's causing my heart to get weighed down. I'm drinking from the pleasures of this world. And what's going through my mind is I just need one more. I just need one more look at the screen. One more swipe on my Instagram. One final pur purchase of technology that will complete me. One more dollar. One more degree, one more week of vacation, one more level on my latest video game. I mean, whatever it is, you're just sucking it up and you're thinking, oh, if I can just have one more, one more, and you know what happens, it's fool's gold. And you end up wasting your life. And Jesus is saying, don't waste your life. It's so valuable. It's so precious. And don't waste your life on drinking from the fountain of this world. It's never going to be the water that's really life-giving. And secondly, watch out for the cares of this life. It's like the second side of this coin. Instead of constantly chasing the pleasures, you're constantly overwhelmed by the worries of this world. Anybody like that in here? Don't raise your hand. I mean, some of us are one more, one more, and some of us are, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? 
and, and you're constantly worried about politics or COVID or inflation or health or the culture or whatever it is. I'm not saying they're bad things, but they've overwhelmed you. And, and, and you can't get engaged in a conversation with a person like this until they, they, want you to, they, they want to take all their burdens and put them on you. You should share all of my burdens, Pastor Paul. No, you can have them all to yourself. Do you see either way I'm sucked in by the world? Do you see that? Watch out because you can be sucked in by the world from all of its pleasures. Oh, I'm so tempted by that. I'm not tempted by the other one as much. But if I just had, you stand in line. I'm sorry to say this, but because it's terrible about me. You stand in line and you're getting your M&Ms. And they have the little lottery things here. Anybody know this? And they tell you what the jackpot is. 250,000, 2 million, whatever it is. I stand there and think, oh, if I just had. You ever, you ever done this? Please say you don't. Just, it's just me. If I just had, then this conversation happens in my brain. I'm like, that's foolish, Paul. That is just foolish. That, that could be your destruction, and you think it's going to actually bring life. So either way, you're sucked in by that, or I just can't believe what's happening politically, and I've got to, and, and it's going to be, and COVID, and the stupid mask, and uh, whatever it is, and you just get sucked in by worry and care and worry and care, and either way, see what Jesus is saying? You're wasting your life. You're wasting your life. Watch out. Keep your eyes on me. So I wonder if you're a good sentinel for your soul. You know, a sentinel, a soldier stands at a door. I, no one can stand at that door, just you, for you. Are you a good sentinel for your soul? We should learn for sure that this world is not ultimate neither its pleasures or worries. And I wonder if you're a parent here, you're preparing your children to understand that nothing in this world is ultimate. If you're not preparing your children for that, you're losing badly. They're in a deeper storm than you and I are in as adults. Verse 28, let's just end here. So much more could be said. When these things begin to happen, whatever they are at the end of the world, if you're standing there and the world seems to be shaken and people are fainting with fear and foreboding, what should you do? Straighten up. Straighten up. Raise your head. Why? This is the day we've been waiting for. This is not a terrible day. This is the day that Paul Phillips' heart beats for. Oh, I wish it was today. If everything starts collapsing, and the sun and moon are running into each other, this is a great day. Lift up your head. Why? Your redemption. Oh, your redemption. Can't you wait? You can't wait for that, can you? No more sin to deal with. No more brokenness to deal with inside yourself or in the world. 
Lift up your head. Straighten up. Jesus is coming. So until that day, stand firm. Stand firm. Stand firm. Let's, let's stand together as I pray, and then we'll sing our closing song. Let's stand. Lord, as we stand, and we just feel our feet on this concrete floor and the firmness of it. Would you work in our hearts now a courage to stand firm? Not, not standing on this world, but standing on the rock who is Jesus Christ. And, and whoever is here, my own heart included, that is attracted by the pleasures of the world or the cares of the world and very tempted to waste our lives or take the exit ramp, may we stand firm today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.